The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Wow, I just finished recording for over an hour with a dear friend of mine, Jeffrey Olson. His near-death experience will have you pulling out the tissues, but what he learned from that will speak to your heart in a way you won't believe. Stay with us for the full time together because the nuggets of wisdom go right up to the end. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Messages of Hope. It is my great joy to bring on the air today a man who's become a friend of mine by meeting him at several conferences, feeling his heart, his genuinity, if that's a word, genuineness, right? He has quite the story to tell and a lot of wisdom that he's gained from that story. Let's just dive right in. We'll bring him on to the screen and we'll tell you why he's with us today. Jeffrey Olson, welcome to the show. Gosh, Suzanne, it's so good to be with you, and it's an honor to be in your presence, even over Zoom. But thank you for having me. I look forward to this. You're sweet, but that's how I feel about you as well. Thank you. Thank you. We were talking beforehand, you know, what's the focus of this talk today? And it's about your story, but it's about the subject of finding inner strength, and it's about perseverance through adversity. It's also about the greater reality and your personal experience in it yes, through that adversity. So there's no better place to start than just telling your story. Tell us a little bit about you and then the day that changed your life. Oh, thank you, Suzanne. Yes, I am. Wow, I'm a regular guy. (laughs) You know, I mean, I grew up on a little family farm. Uh, My parents divorced when I was young, which was interesting. And uh, I spent uh, time with my mother you know, in the city, and then my father uh, on the farm. And, um, you know, rural, hardworking. I still wear cowboy boots most of the time. And yet I did go to college. I, I went uh, on an athletic scholarship. I played Division I football. Um, I studied while I was there uh, design and marketing and became, I was always a creative person. So in my professional life, I'm a creative director. I've worked at uh, ad agencies. I'm now working for a uh, for a small network, uh, BYU TV, which you can go and download the app for free. There's a plug, but we there you do, go. <laughs> yeah, we do we do content for families. Uh, free, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's value based content. Everything from reality shows to uh, scripted dramas to the feel good stuff that brings up some tears and maybe allows one to ask. What's really important in life and why am I here? And I think I spoke or laughed over what was the most important part of what you just said. You said it's value-based. Yeah, it's value-based. What are those values? Yeah, it's not religious. It's not, uh, I mean, there is some religious programming, but uh, gosh, uh, we were were nominated for seven Emmys this year in the uh, family and and children um, divisions of the Emmy Awards. Wow. And uh, things are going really, really well. We're working with partners like uh, BBC in the UK. And um, that's what that's what I do. That's my job. That's not necessarily who I am. Yeah, but, but that's exciting. Myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm a near-death experiencer. I'm an author. 
Um, I do a fair amount of speaking, but at this point in life, I'm becoming a recluse. I kind of, I've moved back home. I'm on the farm with the horses and the oh, cows gosh. and the, and, and the, uh, the sheep and the chickens. And I'm really enjoying, uh, kind of being still, being still for a moment. I get that. Yeah. Well, a family man, tell us about your family. Go, let's take us back. Yeah. Years. Um, wow, I uh, I fell madly in love in college, um, young man, and it's interesting for me. I'm not one that dates, or you know, it's just the uh, Tamara, my my wife, came into the room, and it's like a bolt of lightning hit. It's like, wow, there she is. And I was actually quite shy back then. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think the miracle is that I approached her and introduced myself, and we began talking and became friends, and then. It was a romantic interest, and there was a courtship, and uh, an engagement, and then a marriage. And think it uh, was a soul thing. It was a soul thing. It was absolutely a soul thing. Now, of course, she was gorgeous and beautiful, and there was all the physical attraction that goes with young love, and maybe even mature love. Uh, but yeah, it was. It was. Um, it in and of itself was somewhat of a spiritual mystical experience. Well, the thing that you said that made it stand out to me was that's not something you would normally do. You wouldn't just go up and approach her. And right away, that's, you know, when you do something out of the ordinary, you can't stop yourself. That's the soul kind of nudging you. And, we, and we'll and we get to this, but as a result of what happened with you and with yeah. Tamara, uh, you're now helping countless people. Oh, you're so kind, Suzanne. And they're helping me. You know, I always I always get more than I give. Uh, and Tamara and I were very happy. Uh, she was teaching high school. She loved her students. I was working in marketing as a creative director and running campaigns and working for, you know, brands like 3M and Intel. And, and, and mm-hmm. we were pursuing our careers. Uh, we had a son come, our first child, Spencer. And that was about three years into the marriage. And he was such a joy. We thought, let's have more. But there had been complications and getting uh, baby number two, we actually went through uh, in vitro fertilization hmm. uh, to get our second son, Griffin, here. But suddenly we had what we felt was a complete family, the two boys, she and I, and we were, we were actually uh, preparing to celebrate our 10-year wedding anniversary, and it was the Easter weekend. And we had all piled into the car to take a family trip to Southern Utah, where the blue, you know, the beautiful red rocks and uh, the formations of arches and things are in Southern Utah. And we we're going to spend time with her family down there. They lived in uh, St. George, which is in that area. Yep. And we had a beautiful Easter weekend. Gosh, we had, you know, dinner, we had an Easter celebration and uh, did, you know, it was all about the kids. It was all about the family stuff. And, you know, we had a tradition of, hard boiling eggs and then coloring the eggs and hiding them out, uh, you know, in the garden and letting the kids search for eggs. And we made Easter baskets and, and all that goes with it. And it was a very joyful celebration. Um, Griffin, my youngest was just a toddler at the time. And I'll always remember, you know, him out in the garden looking for the eggs and he was just learning to walk. So he was stumbling, he'd crawl a little bit, he'd pull himself up, he'd take a few steps, he'd fall down (laughs) You know, slobbering and all that the toddlers do, but he would find these colored eggs and he would bring them to me. And he was just saying a few words, but he could say, dad, dada, ball, ball. He thought he thought the eggs were balls or he was calling them balls. And based on what happened, you know, th- those things are engraven in your heart. You know, it's not just a memory. It's like, wow, I'll I'll always hold that dear. And Monday morning came. And it was time to go home. And we said our goodbyes and hugged everyone. We put everyone in the car. I buckled the kids in in their car seats and safely and put the cases in the back. And we were just getting ready to leave. And you talk about these soul things, these intuitions. I, I, I got I, the goosebumps even before you. <laughs> I mean, I looked down at the clock and here where I'm recording this, it's 111. As 111. Look at the numbers. That's another, those are these little winks from the divine. Yeah. But here we were, you know, I mean, I, I had put the car in drive. We were just pulling away from the curve and, and Tamara actually said, wait, stop. I, I thought she'd forgotten something in the house and I stopped the car and she looked at me and she said, I just want to say goodbye to mom and dad one more time. Oh, wow. Huh. Now, you know, in that moment, yeah, we we get goosebumps now. In that moment, I thought, oh, 
women, you know, we've hugged, <laughs> said goodbye. We, I got to get back to work. We've got to get on the road. But I watched and I noticed, and of course, this is hindsight. But I watched as she got out of the car, she ran up to the porch, and there were her mom and dad, you know, grandma and grandpa waving at the grandkids as they do. But I watched as Tamara not only hugged them, but she kissed them. I watched her hug and kiss her mom and dad, and then joyfully come running back to the car and jumped in and buckled up. And um, she had listened to that whisper, that 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 spirit thing, you know, for me to say, boy, introduce yourself to that girl. And now she was whispering or listening to the whisper of going to hug mom and dad one more time. And she did. Now we headed for the interstate. I put the car in cruise control, cranked it up to 75 miles an hour, and away we headed for home. And there was a moment even in that situation. I mean, I'm driving, and uh, interesting enough, Tamara had laid, she had reclined her seat back. She was sound asleep, and she was still holding onto my hand. You know, so I'm driving, and she's holding my hand. And that, and that was a, I'm like, wow, 10 years into this marriage, you know, and she's still holding my hand, like, when I had a couple extra dollars and took her to the dollar movie in college <laughs> and the kids were in the back and I, I just glanced in the rearview mirror to look at traffic. And uh, I noticed Griffin, my baby son, and he was sound asleep in his car seat too. And, and it's just a moment, you know, it's like time almost stops. It was just a glance. But as I glanced and saw him, I, I noticed how long his eyelashes were. And I thought, what a delightful child. What a beautiful boy. And I uh, I could hear Spencer, my oldest son. He was seven at the time, and he was playing with little action figures he had gotten in his Easter basket and having, you know, making all the joyous noise of a little boy having the groundest, you know, lightsaber battle of the universe. <laughs> and there's Tamara holding my hand. Anyway, it was this moment of absolute gratitude. And I'll never forget that as I'm driving this moment of gratitude. Wow, look what I'm surrounded with and 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 surrounded within. It was about an hour after that. There was reports of crosswinds. There was reports of a red pickup truck driving erratically, you know, on the interstate. Um, one of the most difficult things of the story is, I believe I dozed off. I've been on that highway. It's a lot of long stretch of nothing. It's a long stretch of nothing. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and there's no excuse or, 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 or reason. I, I mean, I, I, I've thought about a father, a young father, and what we do as men and women as well. You know, you're working, you're trying to raise kids, you're going 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day. I may have dozed off at the wheel, Suzanne. I may have just nodded off, but for whatever reason, the, the, the car swerved to the right. I overcorrected to the left. I lost control and the car began to roll. Not, not off the interstate, but down the concrete at 75 miles an hour. It was a horrific automobile accident. Oof. Yeah. I blacked out for most of that. I was aware that, oh, we're rolling. I, I, I blacked out. Um, when the car came to a stop, however, I was incredibly conscious. Uh, the first thing I heard was my seven-year-old crying hysterically in the back seat. And, and I thought, gosh, I've got to get to my boy. I've got to get to my son. And that's when I realized that I could not move. Um, I was pinned either to the floorboard or the, the seat. I couldn't tell. There was the smell of gasoline, all the broken glass. I was struggling to breathe. I was in intense pain, but the adrenaline was so huge. I, 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 I wasn't aware of my injuries. What had actually happened is that both of my legs had been crushed and, and shattered. Uh, the left leg was eventually amputated above the knee. You know, the right leg had to be completely rebuilt. There's six pins in a plate holding it together today. My back had been broken in a couple of places. Um, ironically, the spinal column had not been damaged. It was kind of L4 and L5 had been cracked, but it did not paralyze me. My rib cage was damaged. My lungs were collapsing. My right arm had almost been torn off. And then the seatbelt had cut through and ruptured all my insides. 
I, I was, I was not aware of my injuries, the adrenaline. I had to get to my boy who was crying, but that's when I realized no one else was crying. Um, and I became aware in that moment that Tamara, my beloved, and that Griffin, my my little toddler son, that they that they were gone, that they had passed. I knew it. Um, I saw it. I won't go into the graphic details, but that was the darkest, um, most horrific place a man could ever be. I mean, here I am pinned. I can't move. I've got a hysterical child in the back seat who I believe is okay based on the cries. I know half the family's gone. And, and I was driving the car. Um, I can't even, you know, to touch on the guilt, the regret, I kept thinking, can't, can't I have those three seconds back? What happened? What happened? And I only share that because it was in that dark, dark moment of despair that I felt light come, <laughs> literally light. It felt like light came to me, like light surrounded me, like light was holding me and comforting me in this horrific situation. It felt as if I was rising above the accident scene. And suddenly I was okay. I could breathe apparently the, the pain was gone i was very much alive but i believe my soul had left the body here i am in this light and i'm incredibly alive incredibly aware the pain and the trauma is gone i was aware of the accident but i'm comforted in this light and then suddenly tamara who i i knew was deceased at the scene there she is in the light with me and she's gorgeous She's radiant. There's no injuries. There's nothing about the accident. She's absolutely divinely beautiful. And she begins to communicate me that you can't stay. Jeff, you've got to go. You've got to go. You can't be here. And we literally had a conversation. Meaning uh, across the veil with her. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, she's there and, and it, it felt quite tangible. Like I could, I mean, the tear, she was upset. It was strange because I was comforting her. She's crying. And yet the experience was, wow, I can experience the tears. I can taste her tears. I could, I mean, it was. Um, was she upset about the situation or that you were there with her? No, she was upset about the situation that okay. I was to go back, yeah. that I could not stay. I was to go back. Now, it still felt like there was a choice. You know, I was looking at her and we discussed the fact if I stayed with her, Spencer would be orphaned. But it felt like there was a cosmic contract. It felt like, like, yeah, I know, I'm going back and you're staying here. And it didn't make it easy. <laughs> that was the most profound goodbye I may ever say. Huh. Um, this day, is it like dream visits that it's so solid, it's just absolute, that is reality. Yes, that's what it felt like. In fact, when I made that transition, if you will, into the light, suddenly it's like, wow, this is real. Uh, you know, this is the foggy, crazy dream, um, the accident, e even us sitting and conversing today. Like, this is kind of the, I'm not going to call life an illusion. I mean, boy, life. That's very real. Right? And it's real. Yeah. And you experience it. And I, I feel that's why we came is to have this human experience when i say came because in that other in that other realm in that light it felt as if it was home it felt as if it was an origin it felt as if it was a place of 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 our origin at least my origin on a very personal matter but we made the choice we made the choice that i was coming back and and in doing so um said goodbye and we have no idea how powerful our thoughts are i didn't have to figure out well how how do i you know how do i go back how do i get back i just the the, the intention the thought the consciousness i'm going back and then whew, it's like i was whisked away and i found myself moving about a, a busy level one trauma center er hospital setting oh wow so you yeah. Went into the light and in the car in the pain and woke up in the hospital. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And um, hey, I, I asked, did, did, did you ever find out from the ambulance dri uh, drivers or the EMTs 
if you had coded, if they, if you, if they knew you had died. Yeah. I, I, I was never actually pronounced dead. Mm -hmm. I may have coded I, in, in some attempt. And of course I didn't talk about this for years. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it was almost 10 years after the accident before I really had processed it and was able to talk about it and getting ambulance crews or records at that point was somewhat oh, sure. problematic, but, but I, I was told I never was pronounced dead that I never actually coded. Um, but that was, that was from my family and hearsay. I, I, I can't verify or confirm any of that. I was just curious because it doesn't matter that realer than real experience that you had is it. Yeah. 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 And your, your, uh, your soul had pulled back from the body. No doubt about it. Well, it certainly felt like that. And there was no concept of time in this, in this light. I mean, I later found out people arrived at the scene you know, they were able to assist. There was actually a doctor on the scene that that saw to Spencer and and apparently saw to me getting lung, you know, getting air into my lungs somehow. And and um I had to be extricated from the car and 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 I was rushed to a local hospital where I was life flighted or airlifted to a level one trauma center where they could deal with my injuries. Not I, I was unaware of any of that. All I knew was I'd crashed the car. I had said a profound goodbye. And and then found myself moving about this hospital, um, very much aware of the doctors, the nurses, the patients. In fact, acutely aware. I, I was I was aware like I've never been aware. Huh. Everyone I saw, um, I knew them. Not 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 that I knew hmm. their heart. I knew their soul. I I saw them in their magnificence. I, for instance, a nurse just brushed by, completely unaware of me. Now, once again, my spirit is out of my body. This is my soul wandering around the hospital, I suppose. Okay, you're not just in the room with your body. You're wandering. No, I'm I'm moving about freely and experiencing what I call oneness. Huh. This nurse passes by and I, in an instant, know everything about her. Hmm. I know her love, her hate, her hurt, her motivations, her joy, her her. Uh, and I also, if I, if I could just interject there, this is what those across the veil tell us that we don't need to talk, and that those of us here can't keep secrets from our loved ones who have passed because, just as you had that experience, Jeff, every one of our loved ones who passes suddenly knows what's in our heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I, I want to add to that there was no judgment, there was no, I, 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 I mean, you know. This I'm using this nurse as an example. I, I I felt wow the abuse, the abuse she had experienced as a child, the 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 physical, emotional, sexual abuse. I I knew it, hmm. and yet in that very instant, it was like wow and look at her magnificence here in a hospital serving, healing, you know, <laughs> helping. Um, that everyone I saw there was this connection of oneness, and, and it felt divine. It felt divine, like, wow, wow, I see you, I see you, I see you. And I finally came up to a body that I didn't feel anything from, which was odd, and I stepped closer, and that's when I realized, oh, my goodness, that's that's me. That that, But, but, but that's not me. I, I'm, I'm having this incredible <clears throat> connected experience, but there's my body. There's the skin suit that that is worn through mortality. And yet, Suzanne, there was a reverence. As I looked at my body, I thought, wow, I never realized what a miracle machine. I didn't have to remind my heart to beat or, or tell my lungs how to breathe or think about it. I, I, I saw the body as this incredible uh, temple. I mean, it's like, wow, look at, look at, this vehicle that will take me through my mortality. And I had always taken it for granted. I just expected my eyes to see and my ears to hear and my feet to run. And, and there was a reverence, a very profound reverence as I made the choice again to go back in the body. And again, it was, it was the, it was the conscious, it, I didn't have to figure that out. It was like, I'm going in and then boom, I was back in. Mm so heavy to the pain, the grief, the guilt, the trauma. Um, 
being back in the body was a horrific experience. And I was in the hospital for, wow, over five months. I had 18 surgeries and all. I was in ICU for extended times. I would throw pulmonary emboli and had horrible infections. And, and I really should not be here, but I am. And uh, we pulled through in such a way. And, and there you were, this this college football player, you know, big guy riding horses, counting on your strength, and you've you have one leg is amputated, the other one, and then almost severed your arm. It just uh, yeah, that, it, that's it, the it, physical it, aspects, and then then there's the the death of your wife and son. Yeah, none of the physical stuff even held a candle to the grief yeah. and the trauma of of having half the family pass. But there was trauma. It was like, wow, I'm going to be in a wheelchair, and 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 I, and, you know, and I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know what this was going to look like, and and um, so much of it I was unconscious for. I mean, there's a, there's an incredible story. Family, I mean, family. My brothers, my mom, my dad. They showed up for me in such a way. Even my coworkers and friends showed up, but my they were attempting to save the limbs, the legs. And what had happened in the left leg is it had become gangrenous. They could not keep blood flow in it. And that's what caused the amputation, obviously the trauma to the leg, but. So that wasn't immediate. That was, that was about five days in, I think. And, um, I'm, I'm told the story of my brothers who, uh, gosh, they practically lost their jobs to be, they're in the hospital with me. And they're still my dearest friends, my heroes. Um, but they were told we've got to take the leg. And I was on a bunch of morphine. So somebody had to sign that release form. And my younger brother had played alongside with me all through high school and college football. And, and he knew what that would mean for me to lose my mobility my older brother was a trained uh, EMT and law enforcement men, men's men. These guys, he's, he's still my, my older brother's a full-time firefighter in his sixties. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, anyway, they had to make a choice. What they did is they locked arms together and they said, we'll both sign the form. Oh, wow. We don't, we don't have to do this individually. We'll both sign it because the doctor had told them either we take the leg tonight or you bury him this weekend. It's your choice. That's no choice. So they chose my life. Now, at this point, maybe I'd have rather gone to the other side, even though I'd made that deal. But you have Spencer. I had Spencer. That was my motivation. I, I had this son. I, I was going to raise this boy. We were not going to orphan him. But that's a little insight to, you know, to, to yeah, the, the physical trauma. But the emotional trauma was far more. And... Um, Perhaps at the end of my hospital stay was the most profound out-of-body experience. I had gone through ICU and into surgical recovery, back to ICU. But at this point, I was in the rehabilitation wing. I was literally just a few weeks from going home. Um, and I fell into a deep sleep one night. They, they had finally stabilized my abdominal injuries to the point where they'd put a colostomy. They had been able to stitch some things up. I was able to lay on my side without spilling my guts out. <laughs> and uh, I'd, I'd laid so long on my back, the back of my head. I'd rubbed all the hair off the back of my head. It was bald. And uh, this particular night, I laid on my side and I realized I'm sleeping, which is funny to realize in your sleep that you're sleeping. But in that state of mind, that light came again, just, just like at the accident, this light came and I was grieving so miserably, the loss of my son, the loss of my wife. And I realized they're never lost, but you grieve it. Yep. You want the physicality of them here. And again, it felt as if I rose above the hospital bed. And yet this time the light dispensed, it, 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 it went away and I was in the most beautiful place. I was in the most incredible place and I began to run. I was whole. I had both feet and both legs. And the physicality of it was so strange. In fact, I was even wondering, wow, I'm out of the body. I'm free. But I could feel the energy of the ground beneath my toes. I could feel the intelligence in my calves and thighs. I, 
I had that overwhelming feeling again that I'm home. I'm home. I've gone back to the origin. I'm home. This place is so welcoming, so familiar. And I, I began to run. And then I got the message that I was not there to stay. Throughout history, dreamers have opened the door for positive change that reshapes the world. Our dreams and stories can also attract individual prosperity and success. Join creative artist Valerie June, Aisha Ophelia, Jacqueline Suskin, and Sarah Walco for The Power of Radical Imagination, a weekend workshop May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Ignite your radical imagination and cultivate positive change. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. May I interrupt for a second, and for those who may be new to the whole NDE phenomena, what differentiated this from a dream? How do you know that wasn't a dream? Gosh, it was so physical. I mean, that you know, I, I have dreams. I am a dreamer of dreams, and I do have vivid dreams. And I've even had dreams that feel very meaningful when I wake up. But this, I was very much awake. I mean, I wasn't, I mean, you know, I was, I, I, it was so real, so tangible. And I mean, it's been, it's been, it's been 26 years, Suzanne, and I can recall it like it was yesterday. It, it never, I, I can't tell you what I dreamed maybe a week ago, but this is so, it was so real. Mm -hmm. um, it was so real. And as I got that message, I was there just temporarily, you know, in this, in this new reality, if you will, there was this corridor to my left. I knew intuitively I'm to go that way. And I did, I began working my way down the corridor. And as I did, there was a crib at the end of the corridor. Now, Griffin, my little son had been sleeping in a crib. He was only 14 months old at the time of the accident. And I rushed to this crib and I looked in it, and there, there was my, there was my little boy, sleeping as peacefully as he was when I glanced in the rearview mirror of the car, and I, I swept him up in my arms. Now this is where it was so not like a dream. Have you ever picked up a sleeping child? I mean, the weight, the it's heat, heavy. Yeah, it was that. Huh. And I could feel him and I held him against me and the warmth and I could feel him breathing. I could feel his breath on my neck. I could feel his little rib cage expanding. And I, I, I leaned over and I smelled his hair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I don't know if you've ever smelled the hair. I mean, it was so tangible, so real. And of course I'm weeping, holding him. And I began to feel this presence coming behind me, this overwhelming cosmic powerful presence now i grew up in a in a christian household and i'm i'm thinking wow that's god that's god and and i'm in so much trouble i mean my little boy is here because i fell asleep at the wheel and crashed the car and this presence is coming closer and closer and i'm holding my boy thinking this is all my fault and the presence came so close, and I had the thought, I, I hope I can be forgiven. And in that moment, it, it, and this almost felt tangible too, these, these divine arms wrapped around and held me and my son. And, and it's like we, we just melded into this, this oneness again, this, this suddenly, I, I, boy, I was, it's like I became connected with the divine and 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 yes my life flashed before my my eyes they say but it was more like a life review i saw things in my life and i was the one judging it i would say well that was a mistake oh i didn't mean to do that and this divine being i call i, I call it god 
said, yeah, but what did you learn? What did you learn in that experience? And I saw things, I said, well, I knew that was wrong and I did it anyway. And in those arms, I was told it was communicated, not by words, but it was just flowing through my whole presence. It was, it was like the title of your book, Knowing. Yeah, yeah it's knowing. It, it, was like, it was like, well, that's your judgment of it. Not, not ours. We, you are as precious. And this was a very personal experience, but I knew I was as precious in the arms of the divine as my little boy was in my arms. Mm. He was perfect to me. He was, he was, he was beloved. He was divine. And yet I was experiencing that in multiplicity in the arms of the of God. And and the you know, love. you know, could I interrupt, Jeff? Every single one of the daily messages, six thousand of them I've gotten now over the years, ends with the words, You are so very loved. And some people say, Why do they say that? Because that's what the divine wants us all to know. And you had the personal experience of that. And and people don't feel worthy of that, but what you're describing, it comes with the knowing that we're all worthy of it because we can't not be, because we are divine no matter what. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I still get emotional, Suzanne. I mean, I was like, it was such a personal experience. Like, wow, the love, the unconditional love. And yet I, I, was a, I, I, knew that, I knew that that rippled out to every living soul. I, I, I knew there was so much love. And and this was interesting um, in, in all that. And I'm holding my son. God says to me, I want you to exercise your will. Now, given my upbringing, I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. It's your will be done. I know this. And, and I sometimes hesitate to share this. What I was told is my will is your will. That's how much we love you. My will has always been that you have free will. And, you know, and I was told you can be mad at God your whole life because this was allowed to happen. You know, the car didn't stop. Or, And I was told I could beat myself up the rest of my life because I was driving. But I was given this different choice. I was told you can give your son. You can exercise your will and hand him over. Give him over and trust. Hmm. And uh, in all that peace and in all that beauty and all that love and all that presence, I, I kissed my little boy and I, I handed him over. I gave him back. Uh, he wasn't mine. I, I, I gave him back. And uh, of course, then, you know, back to the consciousness of the hospital bed, I, I suddenly I'm back in the hospital room and in the bed and you know, the amputation and the colostomy and the, the arm. And I, I mean, it, it, I was a sight. My left leg was amputated. My right leg was in a brace, holding it straight out. My right arm was in a sling. All I had was the one operating left, you know, hand. But I had a different insight. Um, it didn't It didn't heal me. I still grieved as miserably as anyone would grieve. But it changed me. It it changed me in a way where I suddenly knew love was the answer. Love was was what I am. Love is what God is. Love is what we are as humanity if we simply choose it, if we lean into it and presence it. How did that change the bitterness you felt and your lack of self-forgiveness at that point? You know, honestly, Suzanne, it took years. I mean, I, I had had this experience, you know, and and it, it and yet it took years. I, I mentioned I never even wrote the book till almost a decade after the accident. And, and I think part of it was carrying that, what if, you know, is it my fault? I mean, I knew what I knew, but the ego and the mind is a is a horrible thing sometimes for me. You know, my my heart and my soul had had this experience, and yet I still grappled with it, and I still grappled with grief. and And I I can now say in hindsight, it was one thing to have an external validation. I mean, held in the arms of the divine and told how beloved I am and we all are was one thing, but it was still an external source of love. 
it wasn't until that love came from the inside, from inside me, from, from me, from, from me loving and forgiving myself and holding myself in that divine energy that I would ever heal. I mean, even, you know, I, I, I call him the great master. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and I had forgotten about that self-love. I'd become really good at loving my neighbor. Um, but until the love came from within me, for me, could it then truly ripple out and, uh, and allow forgiveness to forgive, to give as before, to give beforehand, to, to literally put things back in place and remember, re-put the pieces back in for wholeness. And, um, yeah, so, and, and, and it's still a challenge. I mean, there, there are days it's like, wow, why'd I do that? Why'd I say that? Uh, what, you know, I, I, I remind myself continually and, and gosh, had I not had the profound out of body or near death experiences I had, I, I may very well be that guy strung out on the street corner wondering what happened. I, you know, judgment kind of goes out the window, um, that's a really good point. Yeah. 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 It didn't didn't provide instant healing of the grief. It didn't you didn't instantly forgive yourself, but there was that underlying like the title of your book, knowing yeah. that this there's something beyond this pain. Right. Yeah. Right. And the experiences buoyed me up, carried me through. I mean, I think it's interesting cuz Spencer, my son, 7-year-old, a child, a child, and he basically, he was banged up. He was held uh, for, I think, a night or two in the hospital for observation. But he basically walked away from the accident. But he had no near-death experience, no spiritual visitation. He didn't get to say goodbye. Um, boy, he navigated this as a little boy. In fact, he came to me in his adolescence. He was, he was probably 19. He was a young adult. I mean, and he said, Dad, I don't get it. You know, you speak of these profound out-of-body experiences, these near-death experiences, these dreams and visions, and because it continued, I had after-death communication with with you know, with Tamara and Griffin in different ways. But Spencer's like, I didn't get anything. He's like, I never had an experience. I it, it, he was quite emotional. He's like, Dad, I, I I prayed, I beat my knuckles bloody on this thing you called the divine and God, and I got nothing. I, all I wanted to do was see mom. I just wanted to hold her. I just wanted to have, you know, and here's this young man that was now taller than I am and, and, and uh, uh, you know, grown. And he's saying, I, I never had any of that. And had yet you and he have recently co-authored a book about what you've learned from this and how you've grown together. Yeah, yeah. And we've it's been very close. to segue into that. Yeah, yeah, we we become very close, Spencer and I. And he he now lives six minutes away. He bought a little gentleman's farm. He's got a horse and some chickens and dogs. But but yeah, he as he as he grew up, as he fell in love, as he married, and and I've got a grand baby son coming in the end of this month. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> wow. And uh, anyway, Spencer, my son, in fact, he he said this early on, gosh, he got involved in after school rock and roll programs for kids that were struggling. He was in Big Brothers, Big Sisters. He 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 worked with helping parents heal for uh, helping siblings heal those that had lost, you know, siblings. But he um, he became a very compassionate man, having not had the experience. In fact, at one point shortly after he came to me and said, I got nothing. He, he, he said, what if I'm God's hands? What if I'm God's light? What, what I, 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 I didn't get what you got. I didn't have that experience. And he said, maybe I get to be that in life. Um, All and, of us. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've, we've co-written, you know, we've co-written this book, co-authored it. And I, you know, I worked with him. We did, but it, it is, it, it's, it's titled, where are you? Where are you? And and it was his cry as that innocent seven-year-old child. Gosh, I've looked in the kitchen, I've looked in the garden, I've looked in the stars, I've looked in the sky, I've looked, I've looked everywhere. Where are you? You're not here. And and yet 
you know, not to give the book away, but it's got a profound, beautiful, we call it a children's book. I guess it's got a message for everybody who misses someone, but it's that finding them within you. And there's an underlying thing that, that may even hint at the divine. I mean, I think we all have moments in our life. Um, I mean, even, 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 you know, as a Christian, Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me now? Where are you? And, and I had moments in my life where I've cried that out. And the point is, it's within me. It's within us. We might be crying for the divinity, you know, the divine, where are you? And yet it, it, it lives within each of us. I am that. And you are that. And we are that. I am that. I am. And that's a profound message in a simple little book that was written for children. But uh, we've had many people say, wow, there's there's something much deeper here if you're open to it. It has a beautiful feel to it. And I, and I love that that message gets out to children in a pretty much a non-denominational way, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing religious about the book at all. It basically says, hey, they live within us. It all lives within us. And therefore, it's alive in everything. And as we awaken to that, the beauty and the joy and the awe and wonder of being alive here, even when loved ones have moved on, um, we can- so This would be a great book for- parents and grandparents to read to young children when they're trying to understand death. Yeah, it would be. It would be. And and we purposely didn't make it. There's nothing in there that talks about heaven or they're in a better place. Spencer was very adamant about that. He's like, I was a little boy. And everyone would say, your mom's in a better place. And he'd say, no, she's not. Her place the best place would be for her to be here with me. <laughs> I, you know, he, he's a very deep uh, young man and has become now a very deep grown man. But yeah, he didn't buy that. She's not in a better place. I want her here with me, kissing me on the forehead and tucking me in at night. That's the best place for her to be. So he was very real about that. So he's he's been very, as, as we co-authored it, yeah, very so non-denomination. How did he come to his understanding of that when he didn't have those experiences, was it partially from you having, from him having heard you speak so many times publicly or just his own searching? No, he had his own awakening. I mean, he's become, he, he, he sends me all the time. He'll send me things on, um, uh, on, on being present, you know, and things on, on, he, he, he took his own deep dive into, uh, into his own personal growth, his own personal awakening, his whole, his own personal thinking, or I should say mindfulness, a way of being. And he found it there. And he still hasn't had a huge visitation. However, he now recalls being a young boy, like 13, 14, he says he was at a Boy Scout camp. And he said, I did have a dream. And he said, in the dream, my mother came and told me how much she loved me. But he he wrote that off as a young boy, angry because it wasn't real. It was a dream. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he expected a full apparition to show up in his room and, and, and you know, some of that. I think we all do because we want it so badly. But those dreams yeah. can be profound. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, he's he's become quite a quite a a, a beautiful man, a magnificent man. He's very quiet, introspective, but uh, definitely an inner strength that you you see. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of seeing, you were talking earlier in the hour about how when you came out of your near-death experience, you saw the divine in everyone. You couldn't help but see it. The way you were talking, it's clear that you still see that, perhaps not as strongly as you did at first, but... You're I I've met you numerous times and you're very you're you're exactly like you're coming across here gentle loving kind. How does that compare with who you were before? I would imagine you were still pretty much the same. I I've always been kind, um, but gosh, before the near death experience, I mean, I you know I was a red personality. Go fight, win. You know, get the job, get the girl, get the house, get the car. Um, 
I, I, I was probably far more aggressive, if you will. Um, it, this has gentled me and, and the physical injuries. Gosh, it was not about my physicality anymore. Yeah, it, couldn't be. Yeah. Uh, it became about my spirituality far more. And um, so just people might be interested. You, you have a prosthesis and you, you do have a, a limp, but you get about without any assistance. Yeah, I've healed. I've healed miraculously. I, I eventually I got out of the wheelchair. I was fit with a prosthetic limb. I learned to walk again. Uh, we did rehabilitation on the shoulder where I have almost 65% of it. I can't throw a ball really well because the rotator cuff was so messed up, but I have healed miraculously and I walk and, and I've realized that when I was learning to walk on the prosthesis, you have to put weight on the heel to lock the knee. And then when you rotate the weight on the toe, that releases the hydraulic. And so every step was a conscious um, process. Is it still? Uh, yeah. But really? it's, it's become muscle memory. It's become yeah, okay. memory. And yet in, in that process, I realized every step, every step is a miracle. Every step is a gift. And that's one of the things in the arms of the divine that uh, – that I want to share. I, I I grew up believing that life was a test. I was probably failing it, certainly, <laughs> you know. And uh, in the so arms why of- why did you think you were failing? Well, you yeah, know, because I had family the- and your the family man and good job. Why did you feel you were failing? Oh, because I've made plenty of mistakes, Suzanne. Oh, I've made do. plenty of things that were not necessarily in my own integrity, or I wish I'd have done that different. Or why did I say that? I have a temper. I would lose my temper. I you know. I, um, I mean, you, you, part of it is just, you know, maybe me in this guilt complex, but, but even my thoughts, I'd think, wow, that's not a really nice thought. Why, why, you know, so this self-judgment, this self-judgment, um, very human, <laughs> very human. It's a human experience. It's a human experience, but in the arms of the divine, I realized life is not a test. It's a gift. It's a gift. Even that, even even those feelings and those thoughts, that human experience is not a test. It's a gift that we might experience all those emotions, all those feelings, all those challenges. And and what it does is it expands the soul. I I I continue to have challenges in my life. If I was to say, oh yeah, it's it's easy now. No, 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 no. I I I'm experiencing things that are as hard as anything I've ever done. And yet I realize it's providing a deeper capacity for love, a deeper capacity for empathy, um, a deeper capacity for even self-acceptance in many ways and self-love. And that's that's a gift. That's why we came. That's why we're doing what we do. And that's why it's challenging. Um, you know, Jeff, uh, my executive producer, Lynette Setscorn, she she goes through these videos and she pulls out these one minute shorts, which are just divine the way she puts them together with imagery and music and everything. But I can just feel her when she watches this one. She's going to be going, oh, we got to get that. I think you've given us like 20 of <laughs> these wonderful nuggets of wisdom to just keep coming back and hit, you know, they'll, they, they loop around. So these, everybody, you're going to want to look for the shorts from this episode and, and just go, okay, we'll just play that one over and over till I finally get it. I am divine now, right? Oh, you're so kind, Suzanne. And you bring that out. You create, I mean, you and I have sat together like physically and, and you bring out the best in all of us. And that's- uh, well, that's, that's just that heart to heart connection that you can't help but feel when you sit in that presence and- and I didn't have to die to have it happen. Thank you. It's just through my stepdaughter had to die. That was a soul thing. I know it was. But that causes us to ask those deep questions and to go within. And then once you taste that, that magnificence and feel that light, you do start seeing people differently. You can't yeah. help it. It changes yeah. everything. I'm well, so- and, and the opportunities come. It's like the bar will raise. You know, it's like, okay. I can see strangers that way. Now, how do I see, you know, people that are closer, coworkers, family members, children, spouses? Do I see them that way? 
And, and then how about the people in the headlines that have done yeah, made choices yeah. that we wouldn't would hope we never make? You know, can you see the? Yeah, that's a, divinity, a challenge. Yeah. I'll tell you the biggest challenge for me, anyway, is to look in the mirror and say, "Do I see it? Do I see it in myself?" And and that that can be a challenge. Uh, that can be a challenge. We were, uh, I was with my middle son, Zach, who I adore. He's, uh, he's a full grown man. Now he came over and we were watching a film uh, on Netflix last night. And this isn't a plug for a film or anything else. And there's a part in there where um, the the star of the, the show was asked, uh, are you a good man or a bad man? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. And in that answer, perhaps that's the beauty is not knowing you know, I mean, it, it's odd. My book is titled Knowing, and, and yet at this point in my life, I don't, maybe I don't know anything, and, <laughs> and, yet, and yet I'm comfortable in that. Maybe that is being like a child, is not knowing and being totally comfortable in the what if I know you're that they were talking in the movie about our human side, but there is goodness in all of us. We are right. all both. We're good, and there are choices that are less than good. We all have that potential within us, and and we came here for the experiences and we see, well, did that work? Is that working for you? And then we hopefully choose better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would, I would hold that we are all good. We are all worthy. We are all divine. Even in the choices we make, even in the challenges life brings, even in our judgment of others and self, if we can just take a step back and, uh, and look through a new lens, we might see it differently. We might see it differently. You know, and it's because we can see through the human lens or the soul's lens. My human side wants to say, as I hear your story, which I knew and I've heard it before, but it still engenders the same emotion. My human side wants to say, I'm so sorry you and Spencer had to go through all that. And yet my soul side says, here you are, look what you've learned, look how you're helping people, look how you've grown from that. And even in the pain, there is this underlying knowing, this, we call it joy. I'm sure there were moments when you said that's not joy, but I, I glanced down and I have this little picture here, it's joy. And the, po the, the pillow says joy. It's not the human joy. It's, it's, it goes hand in hand with that experience you had when you were in the light. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all joy and it's all love. And it's, it's the breadth and depth of the human experience. And, and, you know, at some point in this realm, or maybe the realm beyond, we'll sit down, we'll laugh, we'll, we'll hug, we'll cry. We'll say, wow, wasn't that, wasn't that, wasn't that a crazy, interesting, beloved. Holy I was going to say, it wasn't that interesting. Uh, I did, but I don't think I wrapped up the point that I was making that, you know, my human side says, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. My, my soul side says, it, it's, it's not sorry or not sorry. It just was an experience. And what did you bring back as a result of it? Right. Right. What you did know, you learn? It's what you said earlier. That's the point. The purpose of life is to learn and you learn by your experiences. And I, and here again, I, I you know, I'm not, attempting to be religious here, but I refer to things, you know, here's Jesus being taken to be crucified, right? And biblically, he says, for this cause came I into the world. Wow. You know, so when we're, when we're being, when we're being challenged, tormented, you know, betrayed, belittled, whatever it is, well, for this cause came I into the world. My soul chose this experience that it might expand, that I might know. And even, uh, even if I know nothing, there'll be a knowing of that. And perhaps I'll take a step in the direction of knowing who I am and therefore recognizing who you are and recognizing the divinity within each of us in a unique and beautiful way. Beautifully said. If you go to your website, which is Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-C Olson, O-L-S-E-N.com, you see that there are three versions of what is now the 
the latest book, Knowing. Mm. Did you rewrite it several times because you kept growing in wisdom? Not necessarily. What? What? I mean, <laughs> I never, I never, I never set out to be an author. I, 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 it's, it's really interesting the way that came about. Um, I barely started talking about it and spoke to a group. Um, and there was a publisher in the audience who came up and said, you're going to write a book. And I said, no, I'm not. And that was a Friday, Monday morning. There was a contract in my email for oh, a book. And, wow. and of course there's deadlines and pressures and I had never written. I fancied myself a pictures guy, not a words guy. And, and, um, anyway, I knew their hearts came out and it was under a deadline and we wanted to capture the nerd experience. And I wasn't too concerned because I figured my mom would buy a copy. What did it matter? <laughs> but, but in the end, yeah, I think it hit number three in the category in the first, you know, 10 days of its release. And I was whisked into a whole new, uh, way of life presenting and talking about the things I didn't want to talk about, or at least was very emotional about talking about. And then the publisher said, let's do a second book. Let's do the healing. Let's do, you know, what happened after. And that's beyond mile marker 80. Knowing is a compilation of the two. If you were to go get a book, knowing would be the compilation of I knew their hearts and beyond mile marker 80. But with extended chapters and some deeper insights, but it includes right up to, gosh, the marriage of Spencer and him falling in love. And it's really a personal memoir. It contains the near-death experience. It contains the dreams and the visions and the crazy, you know, things that happen, whether it's you look at the clock and it's 11-11 or, or, you know, that red-tailed hawk shows up in that perfect moment when, when I mean, for you with butterflies, you know. I just it, heard some... Some mother, some shining light mom who's watching this. I just heard her gasp because that's her sign. <laughs> you just said that on purpose. You didn't know it, but you did. Yeah, well, Ooh, that was cool. You're, you're, was it was it the butterflies or the red-tailed hawk? The red-tailed hawk. That was somebody was waiting for that sign. That's cool. Uh, Suzanne, you're so you. <laughs> you amaze me. That's how Tamara shows up to me. She mm. shows up to Spencer and I. I mean, I, I'm not saying she's the hawk, but when she's near, the red-tailed hawk is there. And, <laughs> and feathers left and dropped and all kinds of crazy things that, that you would say, well, that's a coincidence, but there are no coincidences. There are no accidents. And it's a beautiful thing to recognize that that's what's contained in knowing just the personal memoir of here's my journey. And uh, wow, is the journey ever over? You know, there's no, there's no, there's no destination. I'm learning that in my gray haired old age, there's no destination. It's all the journey and it's finding joy within that yeah. that brings us peace. That's what brings Every moment is a destination and a, and a beginning. It's just like every moment, and there are some are bigger than others, and death is is a one little transition point, and then there's a new beginning from there. It just goes on and on, and some people say that's exhausting. <laughs> unless it's exciting. Unless it's exciting. Uh, oh, that's, why, that's what the learning is all about. You know, we, we learn, and then... Then we can get to the point where you wake up in the morning and say, I wonder what I'm going to learn today. And may my lessons be as painless as possible. Yeah. And and pain can be a valuable teacher. But but here's the thing, too. I mean, maybe it never ends. You know, I mean, people, again, you know, in my culture, it's like, well, then you go to heaven and then you rest in peace. It's like, well, that might get boring. What what, what if we say, so. <laughs> what, what if we want to do something different today let's you know we wanted we want to experience ourselves in a new or uh, a unique way uh, it, it's 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 a lot and it can be mind-blowing but i guess the I, I had a very wise man once tell me that eternity you know forever and i believe we are eternal based on my experience eternity is nothing more and nothing less than always forever having right now, this moment. <laughs> yeah. Just like you said, from moment to moment to moment to moment, and there's a choice in every moment. And uh, we learn from our choices. We have experience from our choices. And that's that's the point. That's the point. Yeah. 
Well, you and I met at an International Association of Near-Death Studies Conference, I believe, IANS. I know I'll be speaking at this year's IANS conference in August in Arizona. Will you be there again? I may be. I don't know yet. I don't know yet, but I may well be, and uh, I look forward to that. And uh, gosh, Suzanne, I would come just to hear you speak. I oh, would gosh. Be <laughs> I never it's tire of hearing you. I, I know I'll see you at the Helping Parents Heal conference, right? Yes, I will be there. Absolutely. And that's, uh, that's yeah, that's in Arizona in August as well. So Arizona is right. a hot spot. A hot Literally. Spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jeff, what a joy it was to connect with you. I feel like I've just sat and had an hour long chat with a dear friend, which I have, but I hope that everybody else feels the same way now. And you can, you can all see why I love this man. He's just a, a wise teacher, a beautiful person, a good man. Thank you, Suzanne. And I love you, and I send all my best wishes to you and yours, yeah. and I look forward to when we can sit down again, whether in person or on a Zoom or whatever that looks like. It's a pleasure and a joy and an honor to rub shoulders with you in any way. I think the world of you. Well, here we are in the Mutual Admiration Society. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> yes. All you. right, everybody. I hope you're as inspired as I am. I, I just need to go out and hug everybody. I hope you will, too. If you're not a hugger, you know, Use these tools of God to spread the love around that you have picked up from this hour together. That's why we're here. Love you all. See you back here next time. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.